Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. It's volume 10, issue 453, and today we're going to talk about Duke Nukem. 3D mainly, but we're also going to delve into the history of the character and his other games and some of the games that came between Duke Nukem 3D and the next one we're going to be covering in a few months' time, which is Duke Nukem Forever. So joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 453 are Brian Edwards... Oddly enough, I have bubblegum, but I'm pretty pretty much a pacifist, so um, I'll be taking uh, a different route. No ass, asses kicked. I can't remember the last time I had bubblegum. It must be <laughs> childhood, I would think. Uh, hubba bubba. Hubba bubba, indeed. <laughs> Welcome, Darren Gargett. Tasteless comment. One-liner. <laughs> In a voice. Mm. <laughs> right. Uh, and also, John Salmon. I'm not even going to try. Just hello. Yeah, he he doesn't do the gags. We were just talking about that uh, in the in the virtual green room. No, don't, you do not come to Canerins for comedy, but you may get some in the shape of Duke Nukem, <laughs> 3D. I'm going to issue a spoiler warning, but it feels completely redundant for so many reasons. But it feels like it's a sort of mandatory part of housekeeping. Duke Nukem will kill some aliens. That's all you need to know. What is Duke Nukem for those who are unaware somehow of this long lasting character? It is, uh, well, Duke Nukem 3D is a tongue in cheek sci fi first person shooter with emphasis on both high octane t- sort of action and complex for its time, which was 1996 level designs. The original Duke Nukem, then, I've never played it. Uh, it was a platformer, uh, well, kind of side-scrolling run-and-gun platformer mm-hmm. uh, came out originally in 1991. It was the College Computer Science Project of uh, Alan Blum and Todd Replogel, who both uh, went on to work at, uh, well, they finished the game with Apogee, uh, who would uh, eventually, well, create a label 3D Realms for their 3D games. It was originally in development under the name of Heavy Metal, uh, and the character wasn't in place so much until co-owner of Apogee Software, George Broussard, refined the character. He added the colours, the cheesy grin, the blonde shock of hair. And effectively, Duke hasn't developed as a character since that day. Fair to say. Uh, so w- watching some footage of the original Duke Nukem, uh, I was sort of... It's it's odd because it's uh, an MS-DOS game from 1991. And in some ways, it looks quite retro and 8-bitty for the period, but in uh, maybe in, in some visual senses, but also in others, it looks sort of more sophisticated and more thought through and planned than other Western and American platformers and run and gunners I was playing on the Amiga. So it mm-hmm. looks both older and more contemporary in some ways. Does anyone have any experiences of playing uh, the original Duke Nukem? Just briefly, I um, when, when we were lucky enough to get a, a personal computer f- through my dad's work, he had to have it for work at home. Um, a buddy of mine gave me a bunch of MS DOS, you know, floppies to try out, and one of them was the original Duke Nukem. I never played two, um, but I remember like just going back and forth between this and uh, Commander Keen. I had like Commander Keen yeah. two or one of the many Commander Keen games. Um, and I think it was a little young to kind of appreciate it, but but I remember enjoying it. Like it was one of those things. Like yeah. here's a here's a new shiny game. It reminded me of actually kind of reminded me of the 
uh, NES version of Teeny Mutant Ninja Turtles a little bit, um, and it's uh, right. yes, kind of yes. uh, the way you navigate. But yeah, yeah, I played a bunch of it. I, I mean, that this and that is the entirety of my experience with it that I can That's remember. That's fair enough. Yeah, it was uh, something of a hit. Uh, it sold around sixty to seventy thousand copies. And one thing I often go by is I know they say don't look at the comments, but if you go to an old game play, uh, someone's done a long play on YouTube you get a general sense of how fondly the game is thought of just by delving into the comments underneath it. And there's a lot of affection and nostalgia for, well, a lot of different games, really. But but this one, definitely a lot of people uh, sort of saying things like, you know, best platformer ever made and stuff like that, which is obviously <laughs> hyperbolic and, uh, and arguable. But still, uh, obviously, it, it resonated with a lot of people. It makes me think that possibly these were less well-known in their own right and maybe people went back to them after 3D Possibly. came out and was much more yeah. successful. I mean, that's certainly how I remember them. I don't think the name uh, Duke Nukem ever meant anything to me, oh, apart from the character from Captain Planet, funnily enough, uh, yes. be- before yeah. um, 3D came out. But I do mm. remember after 3D uh, realising that there were older games and at least tracking them down at one point, maybe at a friend's house or something, and playing them briefly and being slightly disappointed that they weren't uh, on the same, anywhere near the same level as 3D. Yeah, um, I didn't yeah. know too many people playing VGA, EGA, MS-DOS games in the early 90s, to be honest. Uh, most of us were, in Europe at least, in, in certainly where I was, it was uh, like we were waiting for the Amiga conversions of Monkey Island, things like that. Uh, so I, I imagine this was more of a big deal in America. Yeah, I hadn't heard of the first two games until after 3D. Yeah. And um, yeah, and like the first, you know, I my teacher was called Mrs. Newcomb, and that was funny to me at the time. And then no I was, because, yeah, it's not, not spelt the same. It's um, more traditional kind of. Oh, N E W C O M B E. As yeah, if right. it was set in like Devon yeah. or something. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but there was a, there was a <laughs> laugh there. That's the only that. way I knew of the name other than. Yeah, so then I, I look back at history and I was like, there's two games before this one, obviously 3D being the third and, you know, ha ha ha. And then, um, yeah, I looked at them and went, I don't want to play them. And uh, I did briefly for a minute on each of them and I still don't want to play them. So that's my yeah, take. Yeah, difficult to come to these days, I <laughs> yeah, expect. It's not Possibly as is 3D for some, but uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get on to that. The second game uh, followed a couple of years later, again, originally a DOS game. Uh, it has since been released on uh, Windows and Mac and even Linux as recently as 2015. There was also a Game Boy Color port of the second game, where it was a sort of port come remix. The second game, if if you go back and look at MS-DOS footage of that, it utilised the more co- uh, you know contemporary sound cards of 1993. So it has a kind of uh, Mega Drive-ish sounding FM style audio, although again, that would probably depend what card you had plugged into your PC and I don't know which variants the game supported. It also has a, a little bit of sampled speech. First, uh, first time we ever heard from Duke, uh, not Johnson John, who goes on to play him in subsequent games, but uh, but somebody else from the studio. I think he just says the words "I'm back" or something like that. Uh, I think it's the, that's yeah, the it's sum like total the opening uh, text scroll kind right. of thing. Yeah, uh, but you can play both of those games if you are curious. They are, I think, they're. Uh, if if not abandonware, then they are yeah freely available to play online. Uh, dos, Playdosgames.com uh, if you're interested. Uh, so 3D Realms, as I say, a label or, or, or an offshoot or however you want to think of it, of uh, Apogee Software, which was founded in 1987 in Texas 
by Scott Miller. Although I believe, for whatever reason, uh, its headquarters, 3D Realms headquarters, are now in Denmark. Uh, at some point, they, they moved all the way over there. Uh, according to information from 3D Realms' own forums, according to Moby Games, at the beginning of the development of Duke Nukem 3D, they briefly considered making it a, quote, first-person side-scroller. I can't comprehend what that is. <laughs> Does that mean that everything's just, like, flat lines? Uh, you know, yeah, in Super Paper sure. Mario, when you flip it, you yeah. Know, uh, is it like that? Where you just see like a long tunnel, like a yeah. one lane, like like Minecraft, and you just lay bricks right in front of you. Forever, What's the game? Oh, what game was it where they did a, uh, a an Easter egg where you go into a Mario level in third or first person or whatever it was? Oh, that's uh, a question. Prince of Persia, possibly Sands of Time. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, uh, I mean, first person platformers obviously exist, and platforming in first person games is actually. Mm. Something that, but uh, but the locked in side scrolling uh, is another yeah another matter. I think it probably has been done in else elsewhere. But anyway, they decided to go for the full blown three uh, D experience, as was massively popular at the time post Doom. Uh, as we were, I guess, when they started working on it, they'd played Doom, probably Doom Two, and thought that uh, well, that was a pretty sensible route to go down. Anyway, the game was released. In January 29th, on January 29th, 1996, for MS-DOS PC, uh, there's also a Game.com version, January 1997. Uh, 3D Realms also released Lame Duke, the beta version. Uh, it was released as a bonus, uh, unsupported, one year after the official release. Lame Duke features four episodes, Mr. Caliber, Mission Cockroach, Suck Hole, and Hard Landing. Certain weapons were altered from the original versions. Uh, Mac version followed as well, of course, in the summer of 97. And after many years of requests from fans, 3D Realms released the source code to the game in 2003. Uh, the game reviewed, we're going to talk about the other conversions and versions in a, a separate section later on. Uh, the game reviews, uh, well, I remember specifically uh, the, again, the Sega Saturn magazine review being incredibly glowing. Game rankings had a an average review score of 89%. I don't know if that's based on reviews of the time or whatever, but it was well received and, uh, you know, found its way into a lot of PC specific game of the year kind of rundowns and, uh, and game of all time rundowns in, in years to come as well. Although I think it's probably, it's, uh, it's fair to say its star has faded in recent times. Uh, it was a commercial hit selling about three and a half million copies in the US alone. I don't have more data than that. I imagine it was, probably there were probably three times as many pirate copies as original copies plus all the many many conversions you know to other systems uh and obviously uh releases for more contemporary platforms since i i i can only assume it's uh many many times more millions than that by now and the first episode notably was available for free through shareware so like that yes. first episode of doom Yes, everybody had this at the time. And this yes. was on anybody who had design. a PC that could yeah. run yeah. this. It was just yeah, you had to have it. Indeed, and so does. Did anyone? Did any one of us have a gaming PC back in 1996? Brian, let's start with you. Uh, so the PC I had uh, could handle it relatively okay. Uh, I remember chugging. The sound would always be odd. Well, because you already referenced the sound card stuff. Um, but I, I like I like many other people had. Um, uh, had the shareware version 
Um, but at, like you said, three times as many pirated copies, I believe the statute of limitations for myself is up on this. Um, yeah, you should be okay. So we, uh, yeah, so I, I had a pirated copy of this along with several of my uh, classmates. And so my main history with this game, aside from playing it at home and playing through the campaign, is um, myself and a couple other enterprising young lads um, installed it on the network of our middle and high school. <laughs> um so we kind of went back door into our uh, middle and high school computers and installed Duke Nukem so that when we were in the computer labs, we could play multiplayer matches against each other. Um, so, yeah, it was Duke Nukem 3D in a lot of ways was like like by the end of my eighth grade year in school, we could all just kind of speak it, um, you know, played through the campaign more times than I could count rather than using my computer lab time to do actual work. Um and uh yeah played a ton of multiplayer um rockets on the football stadium level for <laughs> just right. so we just we just i mean we just play it i mean literally the 45 minutes of a study hall would just blink blink by um and yeah so uh we ended up getting in not in not a tiny amount of trouble <laughs> for doing that later on um which led to me and a couple of my friends end up working in the computer lab um I think we ended up inadvertently uh, strengthening the security of the network by our actions. <laughs> um, but yeah, now that we um, yeah we played. God, I, I, I mean, I, I couldn't couldn't count the hours I've spent with Duke Nukem 3D over the years. Um, recently, I did just play through it um, in preparation for the show. I'd played through the uh, the 20th anniversary collection, which came out a few years ago. World tour, uh, right, Darren? Hmm. Did did but, you start with? I'm curious if you started with the N64 version. Not technically but that was where i spent most of my days okay your fresh prints um yeah uh, i remember going around a buddy's house i can't remember what age it was but he was one of these that always had the latest and greatest tech and um right and he had um yeah he had do um not doom duke nukem 3d running on a, in a shareware f- format on his computer and i wonder what it was it looked like doom and it smelled like doom but it had these features that made it kind of in you know in a child mind better you know you could jump you could look up and down, right? And it had it had funny things like pigs with shotguns, and it it kind of took me by surprise, and like most of those games did back at that time, because it was all fresh and exciting to me. These games in three D, and well, you know, I guess this is pseudo three D. I'm not too sure how it really works. Kinda, yeah. It bends my brain when you look up and down, and it, it, is, it, it does literally now. bend. Yeah, <laughs> it's mad. Yeah. Uh, so then you know, and then time went, and and then it came back again with N sixty four. I think I played it on the PlayStation as well, because at this time I was mm. working in those independent store uh, shop stores in the in town, so I was yeah. always checking out the new stuff that was coming in. Coming coming out um yeah but Duke Nukem 64 was you know in its all censored glory and that it was my go-to you know because it had split screen co-op and you could just bang it in and just you know go oh dear you could um you know you could you could plug it in and then off you go with a friend and I played the campaign more than I remember on the N64 and then Mm. I kind of bought it again several times on every format that I had it on that I could play it on because I find the game or used to find the game quite comfortable to play it was just so you know enjoyable that i I was happy to buy it again on the uh, 360 then on the xbox one and uh, the megaton version on the pc it's just one of those games that i i'm always happy to to buy again and um that's not normally like me because once i've got it i'm like nope that's it (laughs) no more but with duke nukem yeah i've played it all over the place (laughs) interesting john what's your history with uh, the duke and Duke Nukem 3D specifically? Uh, not massively dissimilar to what both of you previous have said. Uh, we didn't have a PC capable of... Well, we didn't have any sort of PC in the house until probably 
maybe mid 98 i think so i never played any of these games contemporaneously in my own living room but um from some years before this i'd already become very obsessed with doom and the multitude of other as they were called at the time doom clones that were being released um so i used to play a lot of these at school and at friends houses and i guess duke nukem was probably like second to doom for in terms of both how much i liked it and probably time played on it i mean i can't remember we did play lots of quake and heretic but i don't don't remember any of those games being quite as widespread or or quite as accessible i mean especially with uh duke nukem having the shareware version which like i said before i mean if you had a computer there was no reason not to put duke nukem uh shareware version on there at the time so those those first i think there's six or maybe seven levels in the first um the first episode of this i must have played through them so many times um at the time and then going back multiple times over the years since uh we had the n64 version as well at some point i can't see exactly when that was released it must have been a couple of years later but i remember yeah. that being quite hyped up and a lot of talk about the changes and things in the n64 magazines that we used to get and it it never felt quite the same because they've stripped out a lot of the mature content in the n64 mm-hmm. version so it always felt a little bit like you know you weren't doing something as naughty as playing it on the pc that always felt a little bit disappointing uh, but you know there were plenty of pcs to play it on at the time and yeah we got the pc a little bit later and of course i had the shareware version and then later upgraded to one of the probably the version i think it's the atomic version or the atomic release that added the fourth campaign episode into it and then there were various expansions and stuff afterwards and similar to how they did a release for doom where it was it was a proper sales release but it was basically tons of user created levels and stuff chucked onto a disc i remember yeah so yeah same thing with this and i remember playing lots of that and playing some of the expansion things and being slightly um out of my depth with just the sheer number of things that were that were available um, and then the notable re-releases since it came out on the uh, Xbox 360 arcade, probably in maybe 2007, 2008. So, of course, at that point, I was yeah. like, oh, I'll buy this again and play through it again. And then the World Tour Edition a few years ago that included another um, episode. The final or episode. It, so, yeah, and we had to buy it again and play that because, I mean, as much as we're going to discuss all of the ways that this is a extremely problematic game it's also just a lot of fun to play yeah uh my history with the game well i didn't have a gaming pc until 99 2000 sort of time but i did have a sega saturn and i was aware that uh the brilliant team lobotomy who'd already made this wonderful game called uh, exhumed or power slave or 1999 ad i think it's called in Japan or something like that. Um, and uh, I remember opening the Sega Saturn magazine in, in a shop, as you used to do, reading magazines in shops to get reviews. I did also buy it, I think. Uh, and seeing 97% review score and knowing that I had to have it. Actually, an, an earlier memory of Duke Nukem 3D is in HMV at Bright- in Brighton. They had a decent PC rig actually set up uh, in the game section. And... Duke Nukem 3D was often the game that was just left there running uh, some kind of attract mode. And I I remember it used to play a little sequence. I don't know if it was a, yeah, like a pre-coded, pre-scripted 
bit of the single player or what, but it was it showed Duke uh, throwing pipe bombs into an elevator and then uh, and then activating the elevator and blowing up the enemies at the bottom of the the, the lift shaft with his remote detonating pipe bombs and uh, that captured my imagination and and i remember thinking wow you know compared to the the corridor shooters the doom clones we've been playing up until then the idea that things were happening above and below and you could affect what was going on in other rooms that you couldn't see and things like that it seemed like a a real step forward so i didn't necessarily think that a uh, a console version would be in the offing but actually as it turned out they they not only managed it uh but they they did an exceptional job I was aware that the frame rate wasn't what it was on potentially on the PC, but also it was still way faster and slicker to play than any number of other games I was uh, playing on PS1 and N64 at the time. So uh, I played it through. It was tough. I think I can't remember what the save system was, but I don't think it's uh, it wasn't as convenient as quick save and quick load in the PC version. So I think you had to uh, get good, so to speak. Uh, but I did beat it. Uh, it also the, that Duke Nukem on the Saturn also featured the amazing bonus game of uh, Death Tanks Y, which is a, a, a wonderful game in its own right. So the, the whole package stayed in my collection for years. But eventually, yes, uh, I did move that on and bought the XBLA version as soon as that came out, completed it again. I believe the PS3 version was a PS Plus game at some point. So I played it some more, probably didn't finish that version and then for this show, I've been back to the World Tour version, courtesy of my shared Xbox account with uh, Darren here. And I played through every level once again, always on default difficulty. Nothing else, nothing lower, nothing higher. That's just how I do it. So, yes, I've played a lot of Duke, but never really multiplayer, sadly, despite my intrigue being piqued by that pipe bomb situation. Darren and I did try to play some co-op recently, but it's a bust. Uh, scenario and characters then uh, there's not much narrative in the game i remember uh buying when i bought the the saturn version for full price the day it came out i'm pretty sure uh i had no idea really who duke nukem was i just knew that he said you know the basically he starts at the top of that tall building and saying damn those alien bastards are going to pay for shooting up my ride and that that's all i needed to know <laughs> that's it's enough really, set up for it it's, it's enough isn't it yeah uh, but actually it is a a proper sequel to duke nukem 2 it picks up right after the events of that game with duke returning to earth in his space cruiser as duke descends on la uh, in hopes of taking his vacation his ship is shot down by unknown hostiles uh, while sending a distress signal duke learns that aliens are attacking LA and have mutated the LAPD into the LARD. With his vacation plans now ruined, Duke hits the eject button and vows to do whatever it takes to stop the alien invasion. One thing I learned watching a documentary on the making and the history of Duke was that uh, the the wisecracking non-stop gobshiting of Duke Nukem was a very late injection into the mix he was mute until late in the in the game's development and then somebody or a group of them in a a breakout area or something said you know what would be funny it would be funny if duke said stuff because the characters in these games don't really ever say anything uh, so that led to the hiring of a voice actor an inexperienced voice actor at the time called john st john to give him his personality and it's kind of become iconic, but 
I'm 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 re- I'm trying really hard to think how I felt about Duke Nukem in 1997, and I think it was there was a lot of novelty to it back then. So even though I thought it was a bit lame, the humour was weak. It was the fact that the game was stuffed with Easter eggs and that he would respond to what was going on around him. It really was a case of different times. Uh, the stuff, you know, the kind of the sexist stuff was always cringy. Uh, and I guess it's even kind of more comedic now than it was then because of the, you know, the sheer number of obvious pixels in the, the, the breasts that are being shaken for you. Um, but he was always tacky. Uh was did did anyone ever find the character like oh, you guys are a bit younger than me all of you uh was it was he more appealing to your slightly more adolescent sensibilities as an eighth grader i was i was into it <laughs> i'm not not sure. gonna lie good not stuff gonna i'm glad to all. hear it. yeah i was good. 12 years old like i mean Perfect. this was a softball down the middle for me like you know he <laughs> swore um there was a strip club it, if it always felt like something that i wasn't supposed to be seeing like and doing which at age 12 sitting on the toilet yeah yeah exactly it's masturbation like, booths exactly like at age yeah. 12 that was like that was like such an appealing thing Risque, not that, the forbidden yeah, fruit yeah like, yeah like just and then you know just like like I can't believe that this is in a video game you know and um mm. and and with obviously with hindsight and and you know uh, and and now being an adult yeah it's it was very cheesy and over the top but like a lot of it was referential to things that I already loved and like I was a fan of the movies it was referencing like I like the fact that like I loved Doom, but then now this was taking place on a city street in America, you know, like, and, and, and he was speaking English. Like yeah. it, he felt like less of a, less of, it just felt more of like a more realized character that just kind of drew me into it. But like, mm. if I bet you that I, like within two years on either side of that time window, I would have just been like, ah, oh, this is cheesy, but boy, it's fun to play. As a 12 year old, whatever I was at the time of playing Duke Nukem, I was more, attracted towards leisure suit larry because it was um <laughs> it wasn't fun to play for me so i was like more interested in the visuals let's say but duke nukem <laughs> for me i never found like attractive to you know my my growing boy parts because it was just too fun to play <laughs> like the, the fun for me from duke nukem 3d wasn't because i got these like nipple tassels in my face it was because i could like flush the toilet and blow it up and drink the water from the toilet and stuff like that like you can do all that my, in real life well, I don't know. <laughs> Only once. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, it didn't go down well. But yeah, you know, the, the fun <laughs> for me, like the attraction from Duke Nukem 3D has always been the interactivity with the world rather mm. than the things going on yeah. in the world, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think that's what saves it as well. Like if it wasn't such a tremendously fun game with so many ridiculous gadgets and, and little, as you say, little sort of set pieces like breaking the toilet and drinking the water out of it to regain health and going into the bathroom and the alien is sat on the toilet and all all of the weird stuff that goes on with it it wouldn't fly at all but that stuff is inherently really really fun to do for 20 hours over and over and over it's like mm. leon mentioned the the pipe bombs down the lift and in my head you can see it happening and also the kind of the 2d jibs flying up out of the um you know like the shaft of the elevator you can kind of all see it happening in front of you because when you do stuff like that, you feel, you know, back then, especially back then, you felt like, you know, you you created some sort of comedy gold or like, you know, you were like some sort of super cool action dude, which is, got, I guess, what the game was going for, right? Mm. So but when you see these kind of 2D giblets flying from around a corner when you're not even seeing the bad guys, like when 
the ones on the toilet, you throw the pipe bomb over the toilet door and you see his giblets fly everywhere. Like that for me was just like, yeah, this game's doing stuff that I've not really, I wasn't really anticipating. And that's where the attraction came for me. Not, not the, um, not the, not the, the humor or the, uh, the, the crude graphics, the rude yeah. graphics. And, like that sensibility that like I would look on as an older person as being, you know, um, juvenile and, and sexist and, and, and those things like, it's not not to explain it away at all i mean it, it it is what it is it's a it's a piece of that time period and it's and it appealed to me as a 12 year old one of the 22 year old that wouldn't have appealed to me at all but then when you t- actually take control of duke like i like that scene you talked about on top of the rooftop leon like like you land and you're just there and you have a gun okay and then i like i remember like not where do i go what do i do and then you shoot mm-hmm. out the vent and you go down and all of a sudden you're on the street and there's there's so many things happening around you that that those yeah. juvenile things just kind of become part of the set dressing like right when yeah. i was replaying it recently and, and like obviously like i i paid i i handed the dollar bills to a stripper and said shake it baby to get the trophy pop and felt weird about that but then <laughs> like 10 minutes later i'm using rockets and blasting every corner of every wall forgetting is there a secret here is there something over here like it yeah. it still remains fun to play despite those obvious flaws and um and yeah i like but but again i'm not trying to to explain it away or make me, like at 12 year old brian i i was i was there for all of it like it was yeah. it was right in my alley for, sure. for better or worse absolutely and like i said before it's not like i don't think anybody should be giving duke nukem in 96 97 a pass it's just you're looking at it trying to look at it through the lens of of what was yeah. going on at that time and and like john just said like with, with everything else that was going on in that time it it is kind of um i don't want to say amazing it's kind of admirable that other things weren't didn't make their way into duke nukem um but right. then if you <laughs> if you juxtapose it against duke nukem forever which was that many years later and to be like wow we're still doing this you know mm-hmm. so you can kind of see how like where things might have been up maybe not appropriate but at least permissible of the time definitely you know evolved we we as a, a society have evolved past them being acceptable to now and yep. If you're if you can view it through that lens, like Darren said before, it's still a blast to play. It's just like you're gonna see some things in there and be like, really, like you know. But yeah. but in the context of when it was released, right, wrong, or indifferent, it didn't seem out of place. Maybe just a bit risque. Yeah. No, I was so I was 25 when I first played this, and it was obviously 1997. So I was of my time, and it was the times that it was off. If you see what I mean. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But for me, uh, it was it it yeah. It certainly wasn't intolerable, but it was eye rolling. It felt it already felt outdated and old fashioned. But as I say, because I was enamoured with and beguiled by the interactivity and the sort of the the amount of a care and attention that had gone into the game, I was you know, I was happy enough to overlook the stuff that I didn't find quite as, uh, you know, appealing or whatever. What I also find interesting is it was only two, three years after Duke Nukem 3D that he kind of got parried in himself in Serious Sam. So, so <laughs> an Eastern European team basically took the Duke Nukem 3D formula and said, this is kind of funny. What if we ramp it up even more? And, uh, you know, like basically they leveraged the power of PCs from two years further down the line to add a million enemy enemies into every room or whatever and larger enemies and all this kind of stuff. But Serious Sam 
was effectively just Duke Nukem in a T-shirt. I like Serious Sam 1 and 2. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Maybe we'll cover those someday. And yes, as I say, listener, we will be looking at the now decade-old Duke Nukem Forever later in this volume of Kane and Rince, and including at least one person on that show who's never played a Duke Nukem game before and is playing Duke Nukem Forever sight unseen. So that should be interesting. Uh, Duke Nukem 3D was attacked by some critics who alleged that it promoted pornography and murder. Uh, I mean, that's a long, big old topic in itself. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Walmart required special editions to be made before they'd sell it. Identical to the original game in most aspects, they toned down the gore and removed nudity by permanently switching on parent, uh, parental lock. Uh, I'm guessing, Brian, as you had Pirates, you had the full fat X triple X rated yep. edition. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we definitely had the, the, the full edition. Um, <laughs> ironically enough, could still buy a shotgun at Walmart. So, yeah. Um, oh, that's, uh, I mean... American ethics. With Duke Nukem on it. Yeah. <laughs> probably. Yeah, <they're... laughs> probably. And yeah, in, prob- I mean, yeah, it was, a, it was the, <laughs> it was like gold and black. Um, the just Nukem like the logo. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God, that'd be. Uh, in Australia, the game was originally refused classification on release. 3D Realms repackaged the game with the parental lock feature permanently enabled. Although a patch available on the 3D Realms website allowed the user to revert the game back to its uncensored US version. The OFLC then attempted to have the game pulled from the shelves, but it was discovered that the distributor had notified them of this fact and the rating could not be surrendered. Six months later, the game was reclassified and released uncensored with an MA15 plus rating. Yeah, that sounds about right for Australia. Psycho Hype from the forum says, Oh, the memories of discovering Duke Nukem 3D with my friends back in the day. My friends from church, I might add. I was barely a teenager at the time. Games like Wolfenstein and Doom were already controversial for their gory violence and demonic themes. Duke 3D was something else. It had violence and sex. Well, sort of. Before I saw the game with my own eyes, I remember someone describing to me how you could go into a strip club, hand a woman money and have her flash her you-know-whats at you. It sounded implausible. Strippers in a video game? No way. Sure enough. I eventually found myself at my friend's house. This was the pastor's kid. And mm-hmm. sure enough, it was real. I imagine seeing that game for the first time was somewhat similar to a kid getting his hands on a dirty magazine and sharing it with his friends a generation earlier. As impressionable teens and preteens, we probably had no business playing Duke 3D. And if our parents knew about the content of the game, it likely would have resulted in an awkward conversation or two. That and a lot more oversight into the rest of the games we were playing. It's silly, of course, to think of those pixelated strippers and interactive bathroom urinals as ever being edgy. The easy joke is that it's hard to call a game like Duke 3D mature when it's also juvenile, not to mention misogynistic, albeit cartoonishly so. I'm sure Duke Nukem 3D was and is a great game in many respects. I admit I still get a bit of enjoyment at hearing Duke's gruff voice belting out his silly one-liners, laying waste to some mutilated LARD pigs. Mutated rather than mutilated, but both ultimately. Beyond the crude humour, I remember the game being somewhat unique for adding an element of verticality to its levels, sometimes through the use of the jetpack item. It was really among the first FPS games that managed to achieve a sense of verisimilitude with levels that felt like real places with real life objects in them. While the game was mostly just a novelty for me, my friend, the pastor's kid, got seriously addicted to the game for a stretch and put in a lot of time playing competitively online. 
Unfortunately, as with so many of the pioneering first-person shooters from that era, I rarely ever played Duke Nukem 3D without activating the invincibility cheats. I actually hope to go back to the game someday and give it a legitimate playthrough attempt. Uh, can I talk about the invincibility cheat for a second? Because he brought yeah. it up. Um, I th- I found that like in original Doom, and then and then uh, as it carried on, like once once everybody had the Doom codes kind of like implanted in their brains, it kind of became a thing with especially PC based first person shooters from that point on that um, they'd have their codes and 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 in like games like Hexen and like follow up. If you put in like the Doom code, it would kill you. You know things like that, fun <laughs> little things. Um, and I mean. It seemed just like a fun in- invincibility code, and it was. But I mean, it's really it's kind of an accessibility option when you think about it. Um, and I th- I found that very very useful um, playing through over the last couple weeks. Like I played through the first three episodes completely normal. Um, played through them like it was when I was a kid. Didn't use any cl- codes and things like that. But then as I got further on into episode four, I was a little unfamiliar, a little thing. So I would every once in a while I would turn on a code for um, you know either infinite ammo or I would, you know, maybe a no clip just to kind of see where something was and then find my path. And it really was a useful tool for someone who was trying to see all of this game in a short amount of time. Um, so, yeah, turning on yeah. the invisibility code was something that I was certainly not above back then. And, and as it turns out, over the last two weeks, I was certainly not above doing uh, preparing for the show. Oh, really? I've never done it. I've never, I've never seen the appeal. I can imagine... Just maybe I've mucked around with it before, but I always end up completing these games on. I always want to do it on a, on at least the default difficulty setting. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I feel like I've not played it. Do you see what I mean? Right. And I did but that with the, nothing with against the original, anyone who wants to do it. Yeah. Yeah, with the original three episodes, but I kind of I almost like would treat it like a save state. Like I would turn on invincibility and then run ahead and like <laughs> kind of try to see where the door I was going for, and then go back and yeah. and play through like almost as a like kind of uh, use it as kind of like a uh, like a in like a real-time guide, you know, like, where do I have to go? I have to go over here. Okay. And then go back and, and do it the, the quote unquote, you know, uh, the official way or whatever. But yeah, yeah it was, it really was kind of, it's kind of a nice accessibility thing. Hey, this part's too hard. You know, just turn on the thing that makes it a little less hard. Sure. Let's talk a bit more about the, the visuals, uh, the tech and artistic side of things. Uh, so the build engine was, uh, it's, yeah, it's a kind of pseudo 3d without getting into the, the super technical side of it, which I don't fully comprehend anyway, but it's obviously the work of somebody who was considering a workaround, a mathematical workaround to the very 2D nature of things like Doom levels. So with clever programming, you can have lights. They're not really lights. There's no lighting in the game. It's just using different, it's cycling different colors on different panels to show to make it look like there's a light in a room. Mirrors, obviously a mathematical trick as well in the same in the same way. And I guess the best way I can sort of illustrate the way that the 3D works in this to somebody who hasn't played it is there are big bodies of water in this game. Uh, some of the levels involve you swimming quite a bit and going around through tunnels. And that was all, that was all again, very exciting at the time. Not so many first person shooters had done it. But if you look at the map while you go underwater, when you're on the surface of the water, you're on one map. And when you go under the water, you are instantly and imperceptibly teleported to a completely different location which is the underwater section of the map where obviously the physics are different and uh, and the light well the colors are, are different and stuff like that so there's yeah fake 3d now what i would say just to kick the conversation off in terms of the way the game looks on the saturn back in playing it at a lower resolution and frame rate back in 1997 it was cool 
and it was impressive for the time to have such a you know a, a, a relatively slick and fast 3d game but i never it was never a pretty game it was always fairly uh it was you know impressively detailed and uh it was very clear to see what was going on but it was never like a wow look at this room kind of a game mm. and it's also worth remembering that for me, I got I bought this literally within maybe a fortnight of Goldeneye coming out on the N64. So very obviously very different visual approach uh, and gameplay actually. Uh, and I still loved this game, but Goldeneye in some ways felt more like a, the next generation of first-person shooters at the time. Mm -hmm. But this still had a lot of fun to it. But in terms of being graphically wowed at the time, it was Goldeneye that I was showing my friends not Duke Nukem 3D yeah there's a point here and this this ties into both visuals and the gameplay but I, I thought very much that this is almost a half step between the the games that came before it like the Doom clones and the the better 3D realized games that were I think this probably one of the very first of those but within maybe two years of this you've then got GoldenEye is a year later Half-Life Unreal well, Quake was fully Quake, 3D yeah. polygonal, and that was the same year as Duke. It was later in the same year as Duke Nukem. So that's how, yeah, it basically got stole the march on them in that respect. But I think um, Duke Nukem had the upper hand, so to speak, because of its realistic settings, right? The, the appeal for me with Duke Nukem isn't how many polys or it is or it isn't pushing or whether the, 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 the pseudo 3D effect hurts my eyes or not. You know, I think... Duke Nukem 3D is the only game that gives me vertigo standing still on the floor <laughs> just by looking up. But like just the idea of going into a cinema in a video game and blowing it up or jumping into a window, watching your friend jump into a window in co-op split screen and then him flying out the other side because he's got a jetpack. That's where Duke Nukem is for me, like in terms of magic. So it, it, it didn't need polys for the um, for the bad guys. It didn't need that because... You know, it made up made up for it in different ways. So Quake coming out in the same year, being fully polygonal, so to speak. It you know, sure, it looked impressive, but the setting for me with Duke Nukem and therefore the artistic design and the mm. locations—that's where the magic was. Like you could have all your Quake, you know, grimness and your dark and your black and your horrible grimness, but Duke Nukem 3D was just like, nope, this seems more fun and appealing. Here's LA. Yeah, mm. yeah. That's the thing. I like it, it, when we're talking about the art and and locations. The, the the way it looked and how you can kind of cycle around. Like if you if you try to if you run around an enemy real quick, you can see that two D model spinning. You know, when they're oh, coming yeah. at you, yeah. it's fine. But you know, if you, yeah. if you get close and go around it, it got you can break the illusion and and do all that. But um. For me, it was the setting, you know, in L.A. and specifically that shareware version, which is, you know, the one that I think that people when you talk to people about Duke Nukem 3D, I bet you that if you place most people who had a PC at that time in that first level, they could probably navigate it with no problem. And then they get to like two, three levels in. And they're like, wait, I don't really remember this. You know, it kind of it will you'll fall off the farther you get in the game. And I think. I my uh, love of the game falls off as you get farther in the game too because you get into mm. some of those alien worlds and like mm -hmm. the ships and like where those the wall textures are like that green like gooey yeah kinda, with all the pods it's just and, like Halo and, isn't it it's like yeah and, and, and Half Life stop taking us to alien worlds we want to shoot yeah. things on Earth <laughs> yeah exactly and and it's yeah it's not yeah, <laughs> yeah very dark and 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 that visual language to me and probably to others too but i find that very confusing where like as darren just said like you know you have the cinema and you have the uh you know the the, por the 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 pornography shop and things like that and then and you're you're clicking on the bookcase like it's some old old you know mansion in a mystery movie and it swings open for like that 
I found that all very appealing because it felt like like video games were now taking me into a place that I hadn't really been before, like just like normal quote unquote places. Mm. And uh, yeah, so that was super appealing. Uh, that to makes me. a lot of sense that in that case, when they went back to it to and back to the build engine for the 2016 world tour release, they finished the final episode of the game back on earth in a world tour so you go to france and russia and mm-hmm. japan i think i can't remember amsterdam yeah, amsterdam the pyramids. Uh, yeah cairo i think yeah well. mm. right and uh, and they used, they were able to put a lot more detail into these levels because obviously they were working with hardware of 2015 rather than 1996 so it looks closer to iron fury yes iron fury yeah. is a build game of the modern era that's right and it has all the mod cons of a modern yeah you know, developed game, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I actually quite like the way that the the episodes flow through the... As I say, I did play them all in in sequence on the World Tour ahead of this podcast, and I do quite like the way that it starts on Earth and then takes you away and then brings you back. There's a kind of nice flow to it. Um, The other sort of... This this will blend into audio discussion as well, uh, but talking about the the enemies. um, Although the game is humorous, um, I actually find that the uh, some of the enemies are a little bit freaky. I still find a little bit unsettling, and I think that's partly the um, the you know the audio, the 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 kind of the heavy grunting of the, which is obviously actual pig grunting, and um, uh, and the noise that the octopus alien things make still really freaks me out for some reason. Um, I think I think they killed me a lot when I first played the game, but. The, the sound effects in this game are incredibly urgent and combined with the... Obviously, they're just fuzzy, pixely monsters, but it, I, f- I still find it quite effective. Are the octopus monsters you're talking about, are those the big floating alien they're like brain things? things? Yeah. 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 yeah, those those completely freak me out. Um, still, like, <laughs> in playing through over the last couple of weeks, like, they... You could come into a room, like, you come into a room and you see kind of like the, the, the alien foot soldiers, kind of the first enemies you see in the game. You're like, okay, mm. I can take care of these. Yeah. You see some of the, the cop shotgun guys, you're like, oh, this might be some trouble. You see a few of those brain monsters, you're like, oh, oh. you know, I got to be on my game. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Cause, yeah. And, and that they... noise of them circling you and oh, that, like, yeah, yeah the, the audio plays into that kind of like really nicely. Um, in the sense that it that it there there is a sense of urgency of taking these characters out, and I've found myself playing probably much more than when I was a kid, but playing relatively strategically. Like in and and that's another thing I think the game does really well. Like the the way it kind of doles out the weapons to you, and the way it kind of and and where the ammo is placed, and and how it kind of drip feeds you ammo for certain things at certain times. Like you are kind of encouraged to use a different strategy. So I would like even though there's no cover system to speak of in Duke Nukem, I would find myself peeking around corners real quick, shooting off a mm. rocket, coming back. And, and a lot of that, like you can hear that wave of them approaching you. That audio helps build that tension of like, if I don't figure this out pretty soon, you know, um, I'm just going to have to, you know, use the rewind feature and go back. Yeah. I think, uh, the, yeah. The, the, the trip bombs, man, like they're mm. the one for me that mm. really helps like solidify this game in terms of pure enjoyment. You know, you put, you put them in places, you're crouching up and down. Yeah, you jump in, you crouch, and you place them in places where you think they're going to go, and you hear the beep, 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 and you're just like, yeah, that's that's Duke Nukem. Yeah, so much of the audio is very urgent and loud, and obviously it lacks the subtlety of model game, uh, modern games in that you can kind of, you know exactly when, when the audio is going to kick in. But in some ways that I, I find with, with modern games where some of the sound can become a bit generic because it's all so realistic and convincing, there's 
going back to old games, whether you know, we've talked about early 80s arcade games like Defender and stuff like that, they still sound, and Asteroids, of course, Pac-Man, they still sound exactly like they sound. There's no way you could mistake them for anything else. Mm. And at this point in the the evolution of video games, we're at a point where, so you can hear they've started doing actual sound design in the sense that some of the levels have sort of ambient audio to them, like you know street noise or, or engine noise or something just to set the scene a bit more. But it's also got these really sudden, urgent, loud uh, and, and yeah, ear, ear piercing sound effects at times, which I think uh, it gives it a lot of personality. I remember that first time you come, I think it's on the, it's the prison level where you're first off of Earth. I, it's, I can't remember which level it is in the first episode. Um, and you go outside from this prison block. You finally broken out. And you, it's the first time you hear the pig cops on the like the hover bikes yeah. things. That, yeah. And I remember oh, hearing yeah. them like whizzing above you and just being like, what? Like it, It's just that, that instant like new threat alarm goes off mm-hmm. in your head. You know, how am I going to handle these guys and, and what do I do? And um, it just does a great job of, of creating that tension um in in situations where you might have felt safe you hit oh the wrong wall panel and three guys come out at you like yeah it, it does that it does that really well same goes for the floaty robots uh that the, again oh, they've gosh. got that really loud urgent yeah. Mm-hmm. uh yeah immediately sends a, yeah the I, I think the the audio is 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 still strong and actually yeah probably even if the the graphics are you know aged um the combination of the visuals and the audio i still find uh, obviously there's probably an element of nostalgia with it because i i you know i think back to playing this in in ni- late 97 early 98 or whatever yeah and it's it's never like the real world sounds that you can put a you can put an actual uh facsimile to in real life like uh something like the toilets breaking and glass breaking and water spraying and things like that i mean obviously all of the alien noises are are alien and things that you wouldn't have any any actual uh, idea of what they would be like. But the um, one of my favourite things I think was the regular like base level enemies when they're flying around with jetpacks and you shoot the jetpack and they they crash land and you hear the really grisly horrible crunch of like their legs <laughs> yeah. breaking as they land. Yeah. I never got bored of that. I never found it not fun to shoot them out of the sky and hear their bodies shutting them in a door the and getting that. As well, getting that gooey squelch, yeah. squ- squelch and uh, it actually says it on the screen, doesn't it? In text, like squelch. Um, what else? You know, when you take an enemy down with a shotgun and you kind of hit him to a point where they don't die, they kind of just like they kind of fall down and I don't know, like they they're bleed like for a bit, right? their and neck they're looking or something. Left- Oh god, it's just grim. Like at that point, you just get your mighty boot out and just smash them in the face because you want them to die so quickly. Because they're just they're just bleeding out. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, and they're doing the, it's like that two frame animation where they're just losing yeah. left yeah. and right, yeah. left and, and right. Forth. Yeah, not quite yeah. golden eye, is it? With the old yeah. um, no. tension of the buttocks. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm curious as to how each of you feels about the music. Well, I mean. The main theme is obviously the like the yeah. absolutely focal point of this that's really, really iconic. Um but unfortunately it doesn't show up that much during the the actual gameplay. It's a little bit of a one and done that you hear on the title screen and then I guess you get like a little sting of it on the the results screens of the levels. So that's I mean, that's the, the really big thing that everybody must be aware of with the game but i was listening to some of the sound design or the the background music and stuff in the levels over the last few days and 
a lot of it is that very kind of doom midi uh more in the the levels in doom where it's subdued not the the e1 m1 kind of blasting music that's like the the duke main theme but you've got the kind of the really subtle um like low bassy kind of stuff that's it's it's sort of synthetic and orchestrally in a way but it just very much blends into the background and you don't really notice it unless you actually stop and try and listen for it so it's not that it's it's not bad in any way but it's very subdued compared to everything else that is big and bombastic and loud and shouty yeah. in the game yeah i agree you kind of expect more like pastiches of like movie soundtracks or something of that era because the whole, the whole game is about that right so you think there'd be more like terminator noises or whatever you know but it doesn't really go for it and that's the thing like when i mean if you directly compare this game to doom like one of the most striking things about playing doom for the first time is you hear that theme music you hit the first episode hit start and then the music just continues like right into that first stage like wow you know and then this one and not that a, nothing wrong with the feel of duke 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 plays great but um yeah the, the fact that there's not like there's no like themes that emerge like throughout stage to stage of like you know what type of music oh there's an alien level so we're gonna get this type of track and and it just uh, it it kind of becomes aside from the title screen and the end of level kind of forgettable and almost non-existent like I, c- I couldn't pick anything out from my memory of you know I have on. some memories of some of the tunes simply because I think again playing on the Saturn version I spent so many hours uh, listening to them but actually given the option I often turn the music off. Uh, when I play the background music these days for just the audio. Uh, Lee Jackson's theme song, Grab Bag, has elicited many covers and remixes over the years by both fans and professional musicians, including an officially sanctioned studio version by thrash metal band Megadeth. Another version of the song was recorded by Chris Klein in August 2005. 3D Realms featured it on the front page of their website and con- uh, and contracted with Klein to use it to promote the Xbox Live release of Duke Nukem 3D. The Megadeth thing is weird that they did this, but I mean, two points I want to make about this. And I mean, firstly, we've already discussed the statute of limitations on this. I never really believed that this was real. I I never believed it was by Megadeth because it was one of those things that would come up constantly when you were searching for stuff on like Napster or WinMX or Kazar (laughs) 20 years ago. And again, statute of limitations, it was 20 years ago. I was a child, Um, but it would be, millions of things on there would pop up completely mislabeled and i i always saw this being called megadeth like duke nukem and just thought oh, i was some you know someone's just done this and they've mislabeled it for for the clicks as such so finding out that it was actually real was a bit yeah. of a trip and the second thing is a, a little bit later than this you know i realized it must it makes a little bit of sense that somebody in megadeth presumably dave mustaine because i think he's the only person who's consistently been in the band for any period of time uh, is definitely into the video games because they also did a song for uh, actually not four but they did a song called Gears of War on their mm. probably yeah. 2007 album. I don't yeah. think it's tied in with the game in any way but clearly somebody was thinking about it. I believe somebody also established that the original Duke theme sounded a lot like an existing Megadeth track at that point anyway. Well, I mean that's that also would be ringing true with Doom where Yes, exactly. Like yeah. a third of the music in that is sort of riffs on popular heavy metal songs. Mm. Uh, I'll have to say, and this is probably, I should have probably disclosed this at the beginning of the podcast, um, that I was in a metal band in college that played Grab Bag. Um, and wow. we 
were terrible. <laughs> so, um, but uh, it was the only song that we had people get into when I, on the three gigs we played in front of real crowds because people recognize it as the Duke Nukem song. So, hmm. um, should I excuse myself from the podcast? Am I too emotionally no, connected now? Actually, to the that's it. That's if anything, you should be more involved in the podcast. <laughs> Next, you're going to say you are Duke Nukem. Uh, weapons wise, so. I guess some of the, the, the tropes of the genre had already been established by this point. Start with a fist and or a pistol and work your way up through shotgun to more devastating weapons. But I think, again, this is somewhere that Duke still provides some fun, even compared to modern mm-hmm. first person shooters. Obviously, in the years that would follow, we'd see all kinds of crazy guns like the Farsight in uh, Perfect Dark and mm. the Cerebral Boar in Turok 2 and any number of things since but duke's little arsenal or big arsenal is still still has uh has 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 uh, a certain blend of fun in it like the, the between the, the 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 rpgs and the the pipe bombs the freeze and shrink rays the landmines mm. that you mentioned the devastator which is still incredibly powerful uh and the sh- you know the shrink ray uh it's yeah, I, I still get a kick out of shrinking enemies and squishing them with my mighty foot. Incredibly and, satisfying. Yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. Like, and the the whole combining it with the gadgets, right? It, the, yeah, the, like jetpacking up into the sky, but leaving a pipe bomb on the floor, or, or chucking it from a high distance, or you know, just any number of combinations. Like the the mix and match kind of pick and mix of weaponry and gadgets in Duke 3D is exactly why I come back to it again and again and again. Yeah, the the jetpack still feels empowering, doesn't it? Yeah, that the jetpack and then the like jetpack and rocket launcher combo is just about my favorite thing in the world. You know, just like flying up and th- and that that rocket launcher has such a nice wide home in on the enemy window to where Ooh, so you I feel am, yeah. like you really are just like from a screen you know, the whole level away. You barely have this guy in your crosshairs, and you fire off that rocket, and you see it just bend into them. <laughs> it's just like yeah. that's a that's a pretty satisfying feeling. Yeah, I mean the the jetpack is an absolute game changer in terms of mm. the level design, like how many secrets you can access because of it, and areas that you, I think, generally have ways to get to a lot of them, but it can be um, sort of done out of sequence with the yeah the jetpack. You can skip mm. lots of uh, lots of keycard doors and things like that. And there's a number of levels. Um, I was just looking looking at a walkthrough the other day, and lots of the levels have breakdowns of with the jetpack without the jetpack like totally different strategies to get through them yeah yeah it's uh, you you're right darren is actually if you think about all the combos of tools p- combined with the the various shapes and sizes of environment some of them are very closed in and corridory and some of them are much much more wide open there's a there's a lot of player agency I just remember throwing like a pipe bomb for a teleporter and just popping it on the other side or, you know, the, the shrink rays mentioned, but also the expander, right? Where you just watch them puff up and they pop. It's just brilliant. Like stuff like that was obviously comedy gold to me as a kid. And I still find it very amusing now. It's, um, it's this, it's that and the, the, the interactivity of the locations are both the, you know, the highlights, the main points of why I'll keep replaying Duke Nukem 3D. There's a couple of points where maybe the maybe a couple of the uh, the you know your toolkit your items are, are less kind of overtly I am going to use this now they auto switch on or that at least they do on the versions that I'm mm. aware of such as the protective boots and the night vision goggles never seemed that useful really 
uh, for the most part. I'm not. I don't really use steroids much either. But uh, one one great innovation uh, I think is the the portable medikit. Um, to mm. to the idea that this is a game that still has collectible health, little vials of health that you pick up as you wander around, uh, and you can get you can go above and beyond the 100 with atomic health items. But the the medikit. Uh, is yeah just like a real lifesaver at times literally mm-hmm. it gives you up to 100 health that you can uh you can top yourself up uh until you've used 100 points worth which uh is yeah it's just i don't know it's again it's just another thing which makes makes it feel more like the player you you the player are in control of the situation than you're relying on them to have dotted health packs in exactly the right places yeah, I think the only thing where it kind of falls down, and it, it's a missed opportunity, I think, is that they didn't take the um, well, the opportunity to mock the BFG in any way, or mm-hmm. have an equivalent of. You think Duke Nukem would be ripe for a kind of a, a BFG, like, oh, this is an even bigger BMFG, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I mean? Something stupid like that. And it, they didn't go for it, which is a shame. The, the Devastator is, you know, your kind of uh, last resort, like, oh, let's just get this out and just re- wreak havoc on you know the um the intensity i guess of the of some levels the boss yeah, usually no, yeah the boss yeah there's no kind of bfg unfortunately or equivalent of i feel like the game could you use one level design in duke nukem 3d is notable for its depth of interactivity which sets new uh, set a new standard at the time for first person shooters interactive objects include light switches drinking fountains strippers actually listed a stripper as an object there Uh, (laughs) surveillance screens uh bins toilets pool tables telephones explosive barrels fire hydrants and a photocopier what i like about all of this is that some puzzles and situations are solved with bullets you can shoot the switches and you can shoot the light switches on and off i just think there's some that you could like you're right there's some that switches that you literally can't reach uh because they're too buried within uh, a recess or they're too high up yeah. and you haven't been given a jetpack or yeah there's or a there's a really good platform puzzle i want to say it's in episode three where you're you're kind of in the uh, like a sewery location or watery location where you have to the way you raise the platforms up to get across and like a, a chasm yeah. is by shooting switches yes um and uh yeah like so this is stuff now that i think that if it were to come out in a game in 2020 we would say well this is bad level design and they're not you know they're not guiding the player to where you're supposed to go next and all those things and and it might be a little abstract or obtuse but in Duke Nukem 3D especially at the time it just felt like like any any corner any crack in a wall any light any uh, poster or any whatever could be your path forward um and that felt like magical to me when i originally played it like just the fact that like like i think it's uh, the end of episode one to, the way to get to the boss like you ha- you have to pipe bomb out a canyon wall and there's this long series of tunnel like it just it, at the time it wasn't um it, just, it you hadn't really seen it before like that like to where to where any that that old red faction promise of you know yeah you sh- you shoot a rocket at the wall and you know mm. the geoforming that the chunks will blow out like this is like the first time i remember being like oh man like like any this cast register i just walked up to and i hit it and then this poster opens up and like it's that type of stuff like like it's like anything else when when a game introduces something that's just like like you maybe had thought in like your wildest dreams could exist in a game and then all of a sudden it's just there for you to play with. There yeah. are parts of Duke Nukem 3D that that absolutely hit upon that like 
anything could be anywhere in this level and and it's exciting you know and, and but if they did that today of course it would be like well where the hell am i supposed to go and and same, uh, but it's wild same goes with the uh, machines the, uh, the the stationary machines that shrink duke nukem and you have to go oh, through yeah. these little tiny crevices like the idea of dying because you've regrown to your regular duke size <laughs> yeah. in a level yeah. but yeah. Uh, like back in the day they must have been just like yeah well we died start again yep. but now it'd be like people would just lose their mind over that yeah. kind of stuff like i lost five minutes of progress because i yeah. got, you know i expanded in a tunnel it's just like there is stuff like that there is kind of a bit old-fashioned sure I guess, yeah kind of arcadey again listening to the developer commentary you actually hear them say like oh god this this bit's annoying isn't it but you know and they're sort of saying yeah this is when being lost was a part of game design like you you have de- deliberately got the player lost and or you've deliberately not given them an obvious way out and it's up to them to find it and that was the game at that point and not not to be joe old guy too like this is the it, the internet existed in a forum and there were forums of a forum right. like obviously there there was there was online play for yeah. for this game and patches but it wasn't like, like I, like I, I've thought about this literally on Tuesday. I got Hitman Three on Tuesday, and I just like I googled something about Hitman Three, like just to see like if there was some setting option. And immediately there was walkthroughs of every level, every yep. item placement, and every level. Like yeah. at this time there wasn't that, so like creating the mystery in these levels was more of a, a of a gameplay design and trying to like to stop. To, to give players things to find because it wasn't as easy as a Google search to just be like, oh, well, where's the crack in the wall? Here it is. Okay, now I'm moving yeah. on. Um, so, although that was helpful for me in my replay a couple of times, not going to yeah. lie there, but um, but yeah, it, it it really was a part of the structured game design as opposed to um, as opposed to what it would be now. So, it, it's it's interesting, I think. Yeah, the, the element of strategy that it adds along with the kind of trial and error like you will fail this possibly the first time and have to redo it with things particularly yeah. like the um the oh why am I blanking on this? The protective boots and the scuba gear, which are finite use items. And if you yeah. get lost in a level, you might mm. find yourself going back and forth through areas and using up your your, you know, somewhat generous uh, amount of these things that they've given right. you, only to find out that, yes, okay, fine, I've swum back and forth through this five times to find the crack in the wall, but now my scuba gear's run out, and now there's arguably the hardest boss in the game, blooming underwater, and I'm yes. constantly taking yeah. damage because I used all of the scuba gears trying to find the other really hard-to-find bits in here. Reload a manual save from earlier, or yeah. die, deliberately die and rewind the game, or restart the level, old school. Yeah. yeah. The old classic that got me was jetting up in your jetpack right to the top of the level for funsies and forgetting you're on five percent. <laughs> <laughs> full damage, yes. Yeah, yeah, and the game at the same time that full damage is something that I don't know how many of the previous games that were like this actually had full damage. Mm. Pretty sure that there's no full damage or anything in Doom. But one no. of the very first things that happens to you in Duke Nukem, you shoot that uh, that barrel on the on the rooftop. It breaks into yeah. the vent. You fall down. You take damage and immediately heal because you land on a med kit. So it's almost yeah, yeah. the first thing the game is teaching you is there is full Tutorial, damage here, yeah. for sure. And 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 again, full damage is probably in not in every game, but in a lot of games. I'm thinking of Mario Odyssey and Middle Earth: Shadow of Mordor and Doom 2016. Full damage has all been removed 
from those. Yeah, they actually patched it out of Assassin's Creed Odyssey because they wanted it to feel like more like it had fall damage at the beginning, but then they patched it out. So now in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, if you jump off a tall ledge, like Cassandra just does a neat little flip right at the end. <laughs> so that's okay. you know going to stop the three. It was more justified in Middle Earth because you had your your spectral elf helper, uh, so you could at least sort of justify the the lack of realism with that but and one more thing i would like to say about the level design in duke nukem it's, it's quite early on but when you raise buildings by the press of a button mm. that's quite satisfying mm. and unique for the time i ain't afraid right? you no just put quick. the key card in you get the animation and then that building just comes toppling down and you go through the sewers yeah it changes Brilliant. the structure of the level it's um that's, what was it great. called in one of the battlefield games is it levolution or something daft mm-hmm. like that mm. yeah there you go 20 years before san andreas fault yeah uh, apparently there was uh, again according to the developer commentary there was they were intending a stage that was actually a kind of assault on the id software levels in fun but they decided it might not be in the best possible taste to you know go on a gun rampage in a rivals studio and then like a million people made them in level editor anyway so probably it was, it yes. was their hands were clean of it yeah uh, the other thing that always strikes me and this is true to an extent of doom as well i guess i'm just not very observant i when it does the countdown of secrets at the end of a level and i'm not using any walkthroughs Mm -hmm. i will say i did use walkthroughs or video walkthroughs a few times to get myself unlost from uh, from this game but i didn't use them for finding secrets the amount of times that uh, my secrets found would be one of seven or two of five or something they they really are i think incredibly well hidden perhaps too well hidden i don't know is that just me yeah i know i've played quite a few of these um you know modern retro 90s shooters like iron fury project warlock and yeah um dusk and they're all just peppered with these secrets and the problem for me is it's like i want to play the game like you know and i want you know, my my time spent to be time well spent. And when I'm looking for secrets for longer than a minute, <laughs> sure, they're secret and I get it. But also I'm like, yeah, but I also am not here for a puzzle. Do you know what I mean? I'm here for a shooter. So I I, I appreciate the secrets. And Duke Nukem has got plenty. And when I was a, a teenager, I had the time to <clears throat> all the way around the level. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, like, nowadays I'm just like, I feel like time is like wasting around me because i've got more responsibility as an adult now and it's just like no don't put 16 in because when i see one out of 16 on the result screen i feel like i've failed yeah i mean yeah it's like getting a d in devil may cry just like oh cheers mate yeah (laughs) i think generally they're more well telegraphed here than in in other similar games like in doom original doom Mm -hmm. lots of them are literally just you've got to be in the right spot and press the wall and it happens but yeah. Here, they're more things like uh, posters on the wall that look like they might be interactable, or lots of them are yeah. cracks on the wall that you need to blow mm-hmm. up. And it's not easy to see the like the little cracks in the darkness sometimes, but it's better than no no sort of indication or mm. very Zelda like, right, with the bomb balls. Yeah, more mm-hmm. more like that. Yeah, at least there's there's yeah. generally something that indicates, it. and some of them are quite. I don't want to say obvious, but. When you see like a huge poster on one of the levels for what mm-hmm. looks like a Duke Nukem movie that's going up, and you're like, "Oh, that's weird." I wonder if you can walk through that, and of course you can. You walk straight through the 3D Realms logo on it. It kind of makes sense in some respects, but I, I mean, I get what you're saying. Like, there, it's frustrating when you realise how many you don't find. But then, on the other hand, they're generally 
you don't have to get them. And there's lots of things like in the original Doom where finding a secret on the first level will give you a better weapon than you'd get for another level or two later than that. But they're more more like um, yeah, there'll be like a health kit in there or something fairly basic. Yeah. The thing I found is uh, I ended up getting the platinum for the 20th anniversary, and oh. one of the trophies was get all the secrets in a level. So I just did the first level. I was able to find six or seven out of the eight or however many it was by right. myself. But I ended up using a guide to find the last one, and it really was just use your jetpack and go up to the third window on the right on this building. And there was just yeah. nothing. I was like, "There's no there. There's no conceivable way I would have found this." But the rest of them were like John said, like pretty like, "Oh, I never never thought about trying this, but now that I am looking at it, yeah, okay." Mm. Um, but it definitely did have still have some of those like <laughs> just like there's one wall that just you can walk through and you wouldn't know. Uh, very typical of the shooters of the time. For sure. And the other thing is uh, that you also get in your level rundown is you get shown a par time and a 3D realms time. I don't know if those were were they in the original original releases? The the sort of speed running element I kind would, of built in. I would guess so because they're very much a feature in Doom and a lot of the level design and the stat yeah. screens and stuff are very similar. True, true. But again, like not a game that I would commit to speed running in any way, but I'm quite, you know, I think it's good that it's in there and I can quite see how doing so would would be appealing for for players of this game partly because of exactly as we've talked about even if even if you're not actively glitching it or anything just using the tools you have at your disposal and learning the layout to find the fastest possible route possibly sequence breaking and other things to get from from the start to the end and those times are truly intimidating uh, for the most part yeah because even when you we have made your way through the level and now feel like you know it and then you see that time and you start thinking about like even if you got every key right away and knew the exact path those times did seem kind of manically not manically like just like serious times versus as opposed to my you know meager yeah you know time i, I haven't uh, looked into world records or anything but i i've no doubt they're obscene <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if anyone does this uh duke nukem 3d on uh, any of the gdq it's not something that comes up very often i mean there's millions of doom speed runs but duke is mm. and half-life yeah. and lots of the other similar kind of fps games from the time but I don't think I've ever seen the Duke one appear anywhere. Hmm. I watched one the other day out of curiosity, and it's as you know as jetpack influenced as what you think yes. it is. It's all to do with stopping. Like in Banjo Kazooie, you press the right button to make Kazooie flap the wings at the bottom of the jump, mm -hmm. so you can jump off the toppest building, and you can just jetpack right at the bottom to stop yourself from getting full damage. There's a lot of that going on, yeah, but it mainly involves the medikit and the jetpack. Just you know, just cram yourself through the tiniest crevices yeah. and. Uh, yeah, I think they complete it in something, well, like eight minutes. And I think the last <laughs> level takes four minutes. You know what I mean? I think they, they just absolutely just go for it. Wow. Does that include the five bosses or the, well, maybe maybe I, just the three? I couldn't tell because the, the thing on the left is like, you know, a list of levels. And it's like level one, two, like four seconds. You're like, how? And they, uh. they, they just go for it. <laughs> level two and like... It is like they go through the level and they they jetpack through a vent and they they're pretty much coming out the other side of the vent looking towards the button that they're pressing and yeah. they go back through the vent with the jetpack enabled. It's just it's mental. Well, no, it's not mental. It's ridiculous to use a more user friendly title. <laughs> uh, the bosses themselves, uh, I mean, they are kind of 
of a of a type, aren't they? Circle strafing. Here we go. Uh, large area normally with a big yeah. monster firing relatively mostly slow projectiles at you. As long as you keep moving sideways, you can you can usually take them out with a large amount of ammo. Uh, I mean, there's nothing. It, what was interesting is I was watching some of the Duke Nukem one or two gameplay. And I was surprised at how much kind of uh, design there was in that game in the sense of, uh, you know, it being a little bit almost Metroidvania-esque and the bosses having patterns and paths and sequences that you needed to learn. Uh, more like something, as I say, you might expect from a from a contemporary game where every game's designer knows this is how you do this. Whereas back then there was a lot more, you know, kind of flying by the seat of your pants and making stuff up as you, as you go along certainly in uh, sort of, you know, college uh, produced amateur games and stuff like that. So it's sort of surprising that all the bosses here are pretty much of the grab as much health as you can and as much ammo and go in a big circle and try to avoid uh, getting caught. There's, there's no, there's no real uh, that I can recall. Uh, Is there, there's no puzzling element to any of the bosses, no finding switches or, or or weak Get spots to run into a wall or anything yeah. Like that. yeah i think it's just a dps race isn't it it's just damage per second yeah so you can do the most with the quickest mm. and if you've got a medikit on your hand then you're pretty much going to win most of the boss levels i think based on the conceit that at least on the 3d world tour version if not previous ones uh, when you select new game you can choose any level you want so you could go straight to one of the boss levels and you will find that each of those levels is it's not fantastic, but they're well enough equipped that you will get right. plenty of decent weapons before you actually fight the boss. And there's also the the other thing that strikes these levels as being slightly different from uh, similar Doom clone games is that I think four of the five levels with the bosses here also have at least a you know, partially decent length level leading up to it before you enter the boss's chamber. There's That's w- right. one yeah. of the levels where it is literally just a boss fight in a football stadium. But all yes. of the others, especially the um, the Alien Queen one in episode mm. four, have got mm, really yeah. complicated levels before them. Yeah, the Alien Queen one, and then the the actually the Overlord one on the moon too has like a significant uh, level beforehand. Um, and but but like you said, John, they 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 leave you equipped by the end of it. Normally, you get you're but you get to that last run up, you're pretty fully stocked on most of your weapons, and it does a good job of. Uh, giving you the resources necessary um, uh, uh, to, to to tackle the boss, but they mostly are just bullet sponges. Yeah. Uh, a, a cool note about the the Overlord boss, um, the second episode's boss, is that before the room before that boss is just like a room straight out of uh, aliens with all yeah. the little alien baby pods, mm. and you can run right through it and go to the boss. But if you hang out in that room for long enough, all of those pods will spawn. Like they'll all spawn those little huh. like face grab things, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's how I was able to get um, the trophies and the reason for for you know kill twenty enemies in ten seconds. And things oh, like that. I was just right. running around stomping on all these little poor baby aliens. And, I see, but, yeah. yeah. But it but it was it it was kind of a surprise because there were a couple secrets in that room. So I was kind of looking for wall stuff, and all of a sudden all these eggs just start popping out at me. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god! But yeah. If I'm remembering it correctly, the alien eggs are also dotted around with a little ring of explosive pod things. Yes. So you can shoot the yep. pods and yep. blow it all up. And that's that's reminiscent of, I think, the first boss level in the first episode of the original Doom, 
where you start mm. off the level and there's a room with a load of pinky demons and a big circle of barrels around them. Mm-hmm. So it kind of shows off the tech a little bit. Yeah. And what they did with the with the, the new episode, the World Tour, uh, Alien World Order episode is, again, as well as the, the sort of the more elaborate, ornate visuals, they also made a bunch of rooms that have got way more enemies in than they were ever able to put in back in in the earlier episodes for fear I, I believe they they worked to uh, a certain specification and you know they they didn't want any kind of pc that could run the game dropping lower than a certain frame rate probably 30 but maybe they were aiming for 60 but obviously now in a uh, even on a on an xbox one that this uh, you know base xbox one 2013 model they could throw as many of these little 2d sprites as they wanted into a, a 2016 game and uh, and uh, have yeah just give the player way more ammo than usual and and ramp up the amount of explosions and carnage going on to kind of serious sam levels uh, which is kind of fun as it does give you enough uh, enough to deal with it so i want to hear a little bit about from those who were lucky enough to play it i think you could possibly play it like a a link cable on the Saturn version that I had. I think some of the console versions had split screen, but obviously the real, mm-hmm. the real deal was for PC master race elite gamers playing this on their whatever w- would it have been at this point three eight six or four eight sixes on network play through the IPX protocol, playing deathmatch and cooperative games. Who was there and what memories do you have? Well. To to me, I have to thank my uh, my local school district <laughs> for yeah. having a decent network because mm, yeah. that's where I did it. I, I didn't play a single. I, I played a lot of the N sixty four multiplayer, both with screen, and then I believe Darren, you could do bots. Is that right? Yeah, you could yeah. do bots in that. Yeah, yeah. so we, we did the, we did a bunch of that. <laughs> um, that was fun, but but the the time we really did it, <laughs> I'm it's going to be tough for me not to laugh because this is like my one of my biggest connections to this game. But like, mm. I just remember. Like my my friend Tom, he's he's my best friend in the world still to this day. We we became friends over this game in eighth grade, and I just remember he he got kicked out of our keyboarding class for screaming the f word because I just absolutely tagged him with a rocket from across the screen, and he he shouted out out of frustration, and then he got sent to the principal's office. Um, we played um a ton of it uh, in study hall and in the school, and it was uh it was an absolute blast. Um, it ran like a dream, but also mm. I was. I was it was the state education service had paid for the network so I couldn't even pretend to tell you what type of equipment they had but sure. um, I think I think we could fit 8 people in a match although I very very rarely did we have 8 it was like four or five of us that were kind of dedicated to it mm-hmm. until we got um we got shut down but um but we did have it for the better part of an entire school year and um and honestly I, I if you can't hear it in my voice I'm just grinning ear to ear thinking about it it was just just some of the the silliest and most fun uh, video game experiences I've ever had. You know, sounds so, great. Did it? Did it? Uh, yeah. Was it? Did it feel noted? Like, had you played Doom, Deathmatch, and stuff before? Did it feel like a, a no. massive upgrade, or was this yeah, your so, first entry into yeah, this kind of world? It was my first entry of real first person shootery right. stuff. Um, I played some Doom, not very good. I played a lot of Warcraft two over dial up, but that was. 
uh, completely different experience. Um, so, but yeah, no, it was, uh, it felt really responsive. It felt like we were playing the real game. Um, we'd always laugh because we would play a lot of Duke Nukem during the day and then go to each other's houses at night and play Goldeneye. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so it was a, it was a blast, but I can, I, I honestly can't do if I ever played any level aside from the stadium level with jetpacks and rockets. That was like our, it was like playing smash, you know, no items on final destination or whatever. Like that's just the way we played it. Darren, you said you played some multiplayer back in the day? Yeah, the four-player split-screen on the N64. Right. You know, it, was, it wasn't it was a GoldenEye killer, no, so to no. speak, but it was definitely a fun diversion. And, you know, we just stuck it on for laughs, really. It was just um, the kind of the end of the session kind of thing, just pop it on, a bit like the wrestling games of the era mm-hmm. as well. Just, you know, just crack them on and uh, everyone will make up after the GoldenEye um, <laughs> ruckus, basically. Yeah, it was good fun. You know, just hearing the... the oh, what we've spoken about the game so far, you know, the jetpacks, the, the trip mines, the pipe bombs, all of that with four people on one screen and plus bots. Yeah, it was just, um, yeah, it was quite novel, really, because Perfect Dark was kind of, is the kind of the flagship bot game on the N64. But mm. yeah, people forget that Duke Nukem 64 was doing it beforehand. Mm. So yeah, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of fun. Definitely. John, any multiplayer in your past? Uh, not huge amounts, a little bit similar to Brian with, somebody had installed it onto a bunch of the computers in the school computer lab and i remember people playing it there during lunchtime and stuff but it was at that point i think doom was more popular for network play and i, I wasn't like massively involved in any of this stuff because it was only only fairly brief periods and things but there were more people playing doom and then also by the point that uh this had been worked out I think there was also Half-Life Deathmatch and the original Unreal game had a right. Deathmatch mode that had been okay. loaded onto those computers. So people were either playing the cool old Doom or the new flashy like Half-Life Serious Deathmatch. Serious competition. Yeah, yeah and Counter-Strike wouldn't have been that far behind and like Quake 3 yeah. Arena and stuff. So unfortunately... Team Fortress Classic would have been around and Team Fortress on Quake 2 or maybe Quake 1. Mm. But yeah, um, yeah, I think... Quake 2 was kind of quite hot as well for its multiplayer modes. Yeah, like these, a lot of these games were strong single-player efforts, but also kind of just as much big for, for multiplayer and LAN and messing about. And mm. uh, I guess as evidenced by Quake 3 Arena and Unreal Tournament being the massive hits that they were only a year or two later. Many versions, conversions and ports followed this, uh, this big hit. The game left its mark on the world of console gaming with conversions to most game platforms, according to Moby Games. Sadly, none achieved a success similar to the original. The PS1's conversion, although faithful in some ways, was flawed to the point of being unplayable. I'm not sure if that's not a bit hyperbolic, but uh, I know the frame rate was an issue. Uh, the N64 conversion added new weapons, levels and enemies, some even 3D rendered, but completely G-rated the game, removing the girls, the Duke talk and so on. Interestingly, the most faithful conversion ended up being the Sega Saturn one. In 97, Billy from the forum has a similar tale, although he was uh, considerably younger than me regarding this. Billy says, in 1998, I was 11 and one of the few people I knew who owned a Sega Saturn. Game releases were drying up by then and my dad brought me to Curry's to see what selection they had to offer. I desperately wanted to get Sega Worldwide Soccer 98, but my dad, seeing the £45 price tag, suggested Duke Nukem 3D, sitting at the much more reasonable £25. I'd seen the marketing and read the stellar review in the official Sega Saturn magazine by Digital Foundry's Richard Ledbetter, no less. But seeing my football game fade away, I panicked and used the nuclear button. But Dad, that's an 18 and it's filled with blood and swearing and strippers. 
he really couldn't say anything, and reluctantly he picked up Sega Worldwide Soccer 98, and we made our way to the checkout. The irony was not lost on me years later when I tried to convince my parents to buy me GTA 3. I don't regret my choice, but playing Duke Nukem 3D years later, I realised that the Saturn port by Lobotomy was actually rather good, and I would have been very happy to have played it back then. Used the same slave driver engine as the previous title, Exhumed, which was excellent, and later the quite remarkable Saturn port of Quake. Sure, the game had its technical limitations, but the frame rate was higher than the PlayStation port, and you could even use the analog Knights controller. This is true. Definitely worth a look for Saturn collectors today, as you'll still find it relatively cheaply, and it is testament to a team that understood how to get the best out of a challenging console. I echo all of this. Also, yes, uh, the Saturn version was um, pretty much uncensored. Uh, it had the had all the naughties in it. The PS1 version arrived uh, around the same time in uh, September to December 97, depending on where you were. And the N64 version also October, November 1997. Uh, we've also got a piece from Steve Aaron here from the forum who says Duke Nukem 3D is one of those games which I know I own, but I can remember absolutely nothing about except this one thing. I bought it in the year 2000 together with a friend while spending a summer down at his house in Bedfordshire when I was 15 years old. We pooled our resources and headed into town, hoping that we would have enough for a new game, any game, as our Bomberman marathons on my mate's chipped PlayStation were wearing thin after nearly two weeks. When we saw that Duke Nukem was on sale, either neither of us was particularly excited by it. My friend considered it to be an inferior Doom clone and myself completely ambivalent. However, the fact that this game was an 18 and we weren't legally old enough to play it lent it an almost irresistible allure. Resolved, I took it up to the counter, handed it to the clerk and kept my fingers crossed that he wouldn't pay too much attention to the obvious immaturity of this lanky, acne-covered beanpole before him. It was all going great. He rang it in, took the money, popped it into the bag and then, oh, he said, this game's an 18. Have you got any ID? Crestfallen. I stood there alone for what seemed like an age, my friend having mysteriously vanished. I didn't even say anything, just hoped that my hangdog look would convince him to turn a blind eye. However, he didn't, and I left the store with our cash in hand, somewhat deflated over a game that I didn't even really want. Fortunately, my mate's dad was kind enough to pick it up for us the next day, and I assume we played it, although honestly, I can't remember a thing about it, and I certainly don't still own the original disc. It's funny the allure of having something that you're not supposed to have holds over you. Yeah, I mean, games of that era, <clears throat> when they yeah, GTA was a prime example on the PC and PS1, right? It had the 18 certificate, BBFC, mm -hmm. all, and it, it was just irresistible because I, I was working or I was hanging around these shops and people just couldn't believe it. They were like, what? It's actually got like a proper movie-like logo on the front telling me that i can't play it yeah i want it and you're mm. just like yeah sure like especially people want like this stuff. controversial that i never really seen well i mean the i guess the bbfc rating being slapped on games wasn't very new at the time but before the playstation era you would never have seen a game that was rated like an 18 and i would at that point being 10 11 12 i wouldn't have really understood the concept that you could have a game that wasn't kind of a kid's toy thing it was slightly there, beyond there, my comprehension at yeah that point. there were some there were some earlier examples oh, sure. actually there there were some commodore 64 horror games which had uh 15 and 18 certificates and and things like that but uh, it, there was often the suspicion that it was 
it was done as a marketing tool rather than as a, a as a, a hmm. serious attempt to protect our you know our sense sensibility. Yeah, uh, I, I remember when I was a uh, I was much younger than that uh, when the Super Nintendo version of Mortal Kombat, the original Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. came out. I had to I had to take I basically begged my father to come with me to the store so that they would let me buy it. Um, I was also that was before really the ESRB and it was before price regulation too. So I had to get my dad to uh, come with me to spend eighty dollars on the, the the SNES version of Mortal Kombat. Um, I mowed a lot of lawns to uh, rip out that spine yeah. as Sub Zero. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, uh, that that was like that was one of the first instances I can remember of that um, stateside. Anyway, the N sixty four version, yes, as we said, somewhat neutered, and in fact, the uh, the aliens riff from the original game, where you go up to the cocooned women and they ask you to kill them, mercy kill them. Uh, in the N64 version, you press the interact button and instead of that, it says, babe saved. <laughs> and uh, yeah. They just teleport out of there. That's a, that's a weird point in this game because, I mean, the first thing I want to say is you say the aliens riff, but that line from Alien Resurrection is prior to Duke Nukem 64 happening. Oh, sorry, Duke Nukem 3D happening. So that the kill me line, if anything, has gone the other way and been taken no, no, no. Well, by aliens. Kill me's- Kill Me's from Aliens, 1986. I, I always associate it with the clone Ripley in Alien Resurrection. No, it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's in the original Aliens. Oh, Although, actually, Duke Nuke, Alien Resurrection was 97 and, this, and Duke Nukem was 96. So I mean, it's, that, yeah, it's that, close. But yeah, anyway, that's yeah, my mistake on that one. But the, um, the point about the, the I don't want to say babes, the point about the, the captured women is that in the the regular version of this, you don't really save them. You go up to them and they they ask you to kill them, which you can do. And if you do, you get punished by generally spawning in some rather tough enemies. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yes, that's the difference. With the N64 version, they just, they teleport away. There's no death. Uh, There was a Mega Drive version of Duke Nukem 3D, well worth investigating uh, for the curious, released Incredibly late, but in Brazil only originally in 1998. It's a sort of attempt at Duke Nukem 3D. Uh, I don't know how playable it is, but you know, if you were in Brazil and you only had access to Mega Drives, then I guess I'm sure it you know sold a few copies. It was later sort of redistributed worldwide for collectors market in 2015. There was a GBA version. Brian, I know you've played this. Yeah, 2002 it came out. Uh, it's it's deliberately very bright because it was mm-hmm. so it could run on the original unlit GPA. <laughs> it's one of those things that like it it looks terrible, but it runs great. Like yeah. it runs fantastic. It, it plays. I mean, you can barely suss out what you're shooting, but it, mm-hmm. it but it but it really feels it feels as good as you could imagine uh, a port of that feeling on a little um, D pad with two buttons. Yeah. Yeah, it really it, they did, and you, you know you switch weapons with the L and R, and then you uh, the map is on the select, and and that's pretty much it. Like yeah. and yeah, that it, it really does. Um, I I was playing it on Canon Streams, yeah. uh, via emulation, and it, it it surprisingly still again it looks real bad. Music's good though, and it feels really good. So. I assume the levels are remixed and revised and yeah. cut down. Does it have yep. the jetpack? Can you go vertical and stuff? Uh, like no, that? no, no verticality at all. Didn't yeah, think just, so. Uh, yeah. yeah. But st- Isn't there also like a very, well, a unique Duke Nukem game on the GBA as well? Yeah, Duke Nukem is, Advance. Like a, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, so is it is it Duke Nukem 3D 
like levels or is it a whole it's a it's remember... it's a mix because they also like <sighs> they took one of the levels this is going to get way too far down the rabbit hole but they took one of the levels right. from duke nukem advance and remixed it and put it into the 20th anniversary world tour the cairo level <laughs> actually <laughs> exists sort of in the gba version of the game it's nice. um there's a lot of crossover and development there yeah yeah I just remember like playing it, and like, there was a lot of on-screen text talking to some sort of general or something. I can't yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duke, yeah. Duke, the there was uh, what what Duke Nukem always needed was more exposition, and that's yeah. what the GBA <laughs> version has. On the GBA, as well, <laughs> yeah, <isn't> exactly. <laughs> the Xbox Live Arcade and PSN PS3 version came out in 2008. Added a few nice little things, obviously achievements and online leaderboards, some network play, and uh, that rewind feature iOS arrived and uh, Android a couple of years later, 2009 and 2011, respectively. Not a way that I would choose to play Duke Nukem, but you can, I guess, if they're still on the store. Who knows? Uh, The Megaton edition for Windows and Mac came out in 2013. Also Linux. Uh, What was the deal with with that version? Did it add uh, anything in particular? Nobody Nobody knows. knows. No idea. (laughs) Devolver published it. Um, I think that's actually the version that came to PlayStation Three, whereas the Xbox, uh, yeah, and Vita as well. Whereas the um, whereas the three hundred and sixty version was a a slightly more vanilla game. Although I still remember it had plenty of content. I I have played Megaton Edition, but I couldn't tell you why it was Megaton. Megaton. Yeah, Yeah. fair enough. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, and that that brought us up to the most recent release, which was the uh, 20th Anniversary World Tour, which, as I say, added a brand new episode. Been out for almost five years now. You can play it, I assume, on a PS4 or 5, Xbox One, any or Xbox series of any model. Uh, It also arrived as recently as June 2020 on the Switch well uh there was a legal falling out post the release of the uh the the world tour version with uh the original musician bobby prince uh suggesting that he wasn't being remunerated correctly for music used i'm not sure what the fallout for that was uh but he was uh, he was looking to take uh, gearbox randy pitchford and valve to court no mention of the console versions for some reason. Just one of Randy Pitchford's multiple lawsuits from yeah. the last couple of years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and just for a whistle stop tour because we we want Darren and Co to just have a free run at uh, Duke Nukem Forever when they cover that in uh, in in the summer. I think it is. We're just going to yes. we're just going to talk a little bit about the the spin-off games. These were all handed handed to different developers. Uh, they were different genres in in most cases. Starting in 1998 on the PS1 with Duke Nukem: Time to Kill by N Space for GT Interactive Software. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a third person over the shoulder sh- shoulder shooter. Elements of uh, Tomb Raider. And uh, maybe a bit of Max Payne in there as well. Anyone played this? Sort of, yeah. Time to Kill's okay. I think it's better than Land of the Babes, you know, ironically. Direct, you know, that was the direct follow-up, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember much about it, unfortunately. I remember more, a lot more about the next one because it was yeah. on my People home. like Time to Kill, uh, as I record it. Reviewed so-so, not, not, not abysmally, uh, you know, 70s. 
70 something percents and again if you go and watch playthroughs of it on youtube there's people going i really like this game but it was very hard yeah it it seemed all right so zero hour was the n64 sort of equivalent separate game by eurocom Mm -hmm. for gt came out in 99 but weirdly although it isn't the direct sequel to time to kill it does seem to sort of pick up where where time to kill left off anyway like with Mm. time traveling duke talking to himself what was That's the right. deal with this other than that? Well, this is the only one that I remember playing out of all of these. And to be honest, yeah. your description of Time to Kill being a third person kind of borrowing from Tomb Raider and Max Payne, mm. I-, I thought for a second that I'd got them mixed up and that you were describing the N64 one. So that's all it's I... It's very similar. Yeah, yeah that's mostly my concept. memories of it is just this slightly funky, um, funky the right word to use for it, uh, janky maybe a little bit, but a stiff feeling mm. third person action. Yeah, you know, it was kind of Shadow Man esque, but mm. with more playability. You know, it's like people people like Shadow Man, don't get me wrong, but Duke Nukem Zero Hour, it had the fun factor that was inherent within the series. Like you could blow a hole in the middle of the lizard enemies with your shotgun, and you know, you could do stuff like that, and you could look straight through the hole and see the, the level behind it. It was kind of, you know, it, I remember it being very good for the time, and um, I was quite impressed considering, um, you know, it was an exclusive N64 Duke Nukem game. It's just like, why? How was there an exclusive on this machine? Like, what is that all about? So, yeah, I remember enjoying it, but I'd imagine if I look back now, it would be very much of maybe a bit of um, bias fanboyism. Well, it's on my machine, so therefore it's better <laughs> than the PlayStation 1s. But, you yeah. know, that these three games, you know, Time to Kill Zero Hour and Land of the Babes, they all pretty much mm-hmm. are their own little, own little trilogy. You know, they're very similar in yeah. terms of gameplay. Each one a little less well-received than the last. <laughs> the yeah. uh, the N64 game had a game rankings average of 67 compared to 75 for Time to Kill, but then Land of the Babes came along and uh, has a Metacritic score of 37. Yeah, it's terrible. Right. I, I remember putting it on in the shop and just thinking, this is just unbelievably oh, awful. Just a, po- and a poop I out. I can't tell you why. Yeah. It was just... A very bad game, even back then. Mm-hmm. Manhattan Project was the next Duke Nukem side game, Guide N. Arrived for PC originally, Windows 2002, and didn't get a terrible reception. It's a 2.5D run and gun game, so almost returning to Duke's roots. When it arrived sometime later for iOS and Xbox Live Arcade, the reception was slightly less kind dropping from 78 on the PC in 2002 to 41% on the Xbox 360 in whenever that was, 2010. Yeah, I reviewed this for the local newspaper when I was Ah. doing that kind of stuff, and uh, I gave it a three out of five. Yeah, I played it yesterday. I'd give it now, based we're we're now that much further down, I'd give it a two out of five, so that seems Mm. reasonable. Uh, It's a bit clunky and annoying, um, but it's it's not like horrifically unplayable or anything. It's just... It, and and it's quite ugly, I would say, uh, by by modern standards. Uh-huh. Last one. Uh, this is curious. Uh, Duke Nukem Critical Mass by Frontline Studios for Deep Silver and Apogee on the DS in 2011. Uh. It's a kind of mixture of Manhattan Project but with bits where you go into the screen or shoot down an alley with a cursor. the reviews for the game were not good it has a metacritic average of 29 
Oh, I have to find this. I never, I didn't, this is the only one out of the list that I didn't even know existed. I didn't really until yesterday. Oh boy. I, I, there, there's going to be a questionable eBay purchase (laughs) by by me later on. Love it. Some screenshots of this. It looks, um, very strange. Uh, (laughs) I'm looking at it right now. This is, this is a game that I will play. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yep. I will report back. I promise. Please do. We'll, we'll, uh, are you on the Junior Come Forever show? Yes, I am. There you go. Okay. (laughs) Uh, There was, of course, who doesn't remember and who doesn't still have it in their CD or possibly vinyl collection? Duke Nukem, Music to Score By, released in February 2000, including the Megadeth version of uh, the Duke Nukem theme, Grab Bag, but then also compiling uh, music from the likes of Slayer and Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, and some uh, exhibit and some other people I haven't heard of, but John may have done. Sure. Um, I assume this is in your record collection, John. Uh, I've only just made the the shocking uh, realization that this is not music to score, as in write music by. No, this is uh, right. music to Beavis and Butthead chicks. score by. Which yeah, yeah. yeah. actually exactly. the comparison uh-huh. between Beavis and Butthead and Duke Newcomb's not that inaccurate mm. when I think about mm-hmm. it. But yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I probably should have a look at this. I noticed something about the mentioning the Megadeth track when I was reading up about this before, that it said yep. something about there's a slightly different version of that track that's on oh, the album or something. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's something weird about it, but I, I don't have it. But There's it, a second yeah. Megadeth track on there as well, New World Order. So, you know. Yeah, it might be worth checking out. <laughs> and uh, Darren's just reminded me, of course, Duke turns up in the uh, PS... Four version yeah, of Bulletstorm, the sort of remaster. Yeah, it's also on the Xbox One and Switch. The full, and full clip edition, I believe, is what it's called. Oh, for some reason, I yeah. thought Duke was own, was it was a version exclusive, but that doesn't make any sense. No, okay. the, the, the Switch one's called Duke of Switch, and the Xbox one's called something like you know Duke Nukem Tour Edition okay. or something. You play as the whole game of Bulletstorm, which I have done. Yeah. As Duke Nukem, yes. so he's just saying his stupid one-liners yeah. <laughs> to these characters that are around him, and they all call him Grey, as if he's like the character hasn't been swapped who was, out. So they don't call him. Duke, who was also a massive idiot. Yes. idiot. Yes, yeah, yes. just like Duke Nukem, <laughs> like a drinking. Well, yeah, one said a rude word then, but yeah, <laughs> but you can see why they swap the two characters out. But the fact that they don't call him Duke, they all call him Grey Dixon or whatever he's called, is just it. It felt. Pointless. That sounds like <laughs> when you'd swap the enemies in Doom out to be Barney the dinosaurs, and it would just be like a palette swap. Yeah, yeah. Did it's they like, charge yeah. money for that? Yeah, it was a few quid. Yeah. And um, Good Lord. every now and again, if you look closely, you'll see like two D sprites from the enemies and characters running around the levels in Bulletstorm, which is quite okay. Horrible, I guess uh, it's almost yeah. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the you know the year of Luigi when yes. you played like New Super Mario Brothers and you just saw Luigi hidden in a corner somewhere. It's like that, but with. Duke Do you know Nukem. what I think? In hindsight, twenty twenty should have been the year of Duke Nukem. Mm. Yeah, it was a rubbish year. Uh, hell to the <laughs> king, baby! <laughs> I'm slightly surprised that there hasn't been uh, kind of Duke sort of shoehorned into Borderlands Three or something like that. It right. feels a little bit inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I was kind of shocked about that too. It seems pretty ripe for uh for a, at least a questionable reference. <laughs> in, Say uh, some of the Borderlands stuff is uh, is relatively highbrow compared to Duke Nukem. Yeah, yeah that's saying something. Uh, they got some, you know, they got a little bit of uh, wit and characterization in it. At least when Telltale, a smidge. 
just <laughs> at least when Telltale dealt with it. I think I uh, think we, that's a very different Borderlands, but I'm not 100. Yeah. percent Yeah, kind of. Anyway, we covered uh, we've covered some Borderlands and Tales from the Borderlands. Check those shows out. But for now, we have some rather good, I think, three word reviews from Duke Nukem 3D. Follow us on Twitter at Kane and Rinse. Joseph Raphael says pig versus pigs. Porg of Prophecy says hasn't aged well. Uh, Sura says cringy even then. Alex 79 UK says questionable even then. Ink and Booze says pixel art boobies. Billy Goss says Michael Bay's doom. A deadbeat Punk says, all right, hold on. <laughs> I gotta actually try and do this, haven't so I'm I? I'm working on this. It's gonna be terrible. Come get some. <laughs> not too bad, not mm. too bad. Gadget eight bit says all out of gum. Sludge Wizard, who is my good friend Nate, says shake it, ah. baby. Flum, good name. Mighty foot engaged. Uh, Bearfish Pie says threat carried out. Robin Enrico says stunning first level. I'm going to assume the P is silent, but I'll say mm-hmm. Samtick or P Samtick mm-hmm. says the Duke abides. Good stuff. Thank you, everybody. Well, let's try to summarize. I'll start. I have no idea whether I could, would or should rec- recommend Junukum 3D to people who hadn't played it before up to this point, because I think a lot of my affection for it is tied into the fact that when I played it first on the Saturn in 1997, it was a massive technical achievement. A lot of the stuff that's kind of irksome about it now was uh, more acceptable then, if not embraceable. And uh, I had a great time playing it back then. The shotgun felt good. You know, the the sound effects were, were popping. The enemies were fun to kill. The levels were fun to puzzle your way through with with the odd frustrating moment and the the tools were were fun to muck around with and so on. Uh, Going back to this game, like the fact that I've actually played it all the way through three times uh, across the space of uh, 24 years, whatever it is, says quite a lot to me that the game remains fun for me to play, which suggests that because, you know, I, I tend to think I'm all right at kind of if if I go back to something and it really doesn't do it anymore I think I think I'm quite able to just say yeah that's that's happened that's got old I think uh, we certainly did that on our GoldenEye podcast for example which is a game that came out on consoles Mm. within weeks of, of the console version of Duke Nukem 3D however if you ask me which one I would enjoy to play more now it would absolutely be Duke Nukem 3D um because, well, it, it would be a different conversation had GoldenEye made it to uh, to Xbox Live Arcade in the shape that Perfect Dark did, because then we had the 60 frames a second, lock solid frame rate, you know, rock solid frame rate and all that kind of thing. But now, yeah, I would uh, I would absolutely play the, the most that 2016 World Tour version of Duke Nukem for fun, just for the sheer heck of it. I would have happily played it even if we hadn't finally decided to do this podcast as i say whether it is one for people to come to now who weren't there in the 90s i'm really not too sure i'll leave it for the others to say um i guess if if you if you're somebody who's who loves first person shooters now 
and is still into that genre. I think this one made a lot of leaps forward for the the genre that have stuck. And so from a sort of historical artifact point of view, it's definitely interesting. And yeah, shooting the aliens and getting through the levels, I think is still a good time. Darren? Yeah, again, I, I don't know if it's a recommended game based on its kind of it's attempt at humor um you know the game's fun but it's not funny you know what i mean I, I never i never really found it funny where it's trying to be um but there is a reason why i will probably buy it again if they re-released it in five years time because there's just an in the way the game flows you know from the movement of duke to the gadgets to the weaponry the way it all links together just makes for a quite a unique experience and it's just quite weird to say because essentially it is like a doom clone with bells and whistles on you know that that that's kind of the game of his era and yeah i out of all of them i, I don't really come back to a lot of them other than doom and duke nukem like I, I don't really go back to quake as much as i thought i would or you know, have done I, don't, I haven't played hexen in god knows how long and heretic and mm. disruptor and power slay like there's a lot of these games of, the, yeah. of this era obviously gloom um but yeah i just uh, <laughs> i don't go back to nowhere near as much as duke nukem 3d and that's because there's just a fun whistle stop nature to it you know it's just it just goes you you're you're off and it, it, you, you don't stop until the game stops and whether you find the um you know the the pixel boobies uh, attractive or not that's that's up to you and uh, i'd recommend <laughs> if you don't want to see that stuff buy the n64 version and stick it in <laughs> and play a co-op with your partner or your friend or whatever. What's the frame rate like on it's, that version? It, Can it you remember? It seemed fine. But then that's, I mean, I haven't played it since then, but it yeah. seemed like, like, like you said, Goldeneye hasn't aged well because it, it like comes to a crawl, whereas Duke Nukem was just yeah. you know, fluid. It was just a smooth game. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend the N64 yeah. version because <laughs> it's not <laughs> got the, uh, the nasties of the humour of that era. They kind of sanitised it. And I think personally... It's a it's a more pleasant experience because of it. Nice, John. Ooh. Okay. Uh, yeah, I also really going to struggle to act- actively recommend this because of its twenty five year old uh, problematic issues and various other well, just just things that aren't just don't fly anymore, and it's. We've spent two and a half hours talking about it now, but I also feel somewhat guilty to admit that every time I sit down and play it, I have a really good time. And yeah, you have to switch off a part of your brain that says, oh, you shouldn't be looking at that. Oh, that's not right. But there is underneath the the kind of the crassness of it, there is a really fun, really strategic, really well-designed and also very kind of graphically and... Uh, technically uh, what's the word uh, like competent game built under it I think that a lot of that is it comes from a lineage of I mean it is essentially lumped in with the Doom clones but it is also kind of at the end of that era is two and a half three years after Doom and I think it, it shines in a way that something like Goldeneye might not because it's at the it's at the kind of the peak of its its little three four year long era here whereas Goldeneye is at the beginning of a new peak and it hasn't sort of grappled with 
some of the technical issues and things which Duke has kind of managed to perfect some of the things that were really good about those those Doom clones. Um, like Darren said, if this gets released again in another five or ten years on a, a next line of consoles or something, I will almost inevitably buy it again and play it again and I'll probably have a really good time playing it. But it's not something that I'm ever going to think that much about and I think that a lot of my positivity is also tied up with nostalgia and playing it very early and playing it in a formative time and all of those things. So it, it makes it very difficult to recommend it either as kind of a a piece of art or as something that's fun if you don't already have any sort of experience with it. But I'm kind of tiptoeing on a weird line here and I do have to admit that it, it does something for me that, that I still really enjoy 20 to 25 years down the line yeah similar let's finish with i think the the most uh the most duke positive of us <laughs> brian or possibly the one with the most you know kind of vestigial affection oh yeah that's funny because i i'm actually going to start out by saying that i that i absolutely do not recommend this game for if you've never play, <laughs> if you've never played it before um, yeah sure, sure if you've never played it before I, I don't see a reason for you to jump back into it um but if you have any nostalgia for this game at all or, or remember that first level from shareware um currently i think uh, I, I the sale might be over but i think i got the 20th anniversary i messaged it in the slack uh last week or uh, a few weeks ago for for like 10 bucks or something and and that's a heck of a package with the commentary and everything else and the new episode um and if you're just if you're just interested in the history of first person shooters absolutely um uh, pick it up um there are parts of it that have not aged well at all and we've talked about them i think a lot and and i, I think it's fair to say that there's parts of this game that are problematic problematic excuse me but um but in general it's it's a really fun feeling first person shooter you can almost see i think john maybe darren i can't remember who said it before but like you can see that evolution it's like that half step between between the old thing and the and the new things that are that are about to come and you can kind of see progression while also kind of being shackled by some of the realities of of technology and game design and um but the the real thing is is that it's it's fun to play. You throw a pipe bomb into a room and you watch it bounce the two times and you hit it off and like Darren said, the little giblets of the guys fly all over the place and it's a good time and it feels really fun to play. There's a ton of things to discover and and I think it's I think it's completely worth revisiting if you have some sort of feeling towards it. But if you were just approaching it completely cold, brand new, I, I just don't think there's going to be a lot there for you. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I have a lot of a lot of nostalgia for this game for how I interacted with my friends with it, and um, it'll be something that you know that that first time you land on that rooftop, every single time you replay the game, um, much like John, if they were going to come out with a some sort of PS5 Xbox Series X version of Duke Nukem 3D, um, I, I'd probably be a day one purchase. Ray tracing, that's what we need. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> All right, so lovely stuff. It remains for me. Leon to thank Brian, Darren, John, editor Jay, as well as our correspondents, and of course to you for listening. Next time, in issue 454, we've a mountain to climb in Celeste.